All right, guys, welcome back. Episode three. We're going to talk about today what the best day of the year is. I got to pick it up here. I got to pick it up here. It's a little early, but it is the best day of the year. It is opening day of college basketball. And again, this is going to be one of the best years of college basketball in a long time. And we haven't seen this. Uh, You know, last year was such a weird year with only conference games and and the rules and the COVID and the shutdowns. I mean, it was bananas. It was it was awful. For everyone involved. I mean, the NCAA tournament kind of saved the year, but it was bad for, I mean, my friends and, and obviously for some of you guys who don't know me, I'm a basketball coach. I coached college basketball for four, five years on the East Coast, been in high school prior to that. And, and after that, out here on the West Coast, after moving out here with my wife. Uh, but college basketball is my love. It's my passion. It's, it's what I've always, you know, enjoyed the most. It's my favorite sport uh, by far. So, you know, this year, is shaping up for something that that's that's uh, it's going to be pretty good, you know. Because bottom line is this is the wild wild west. This is we're we're like I said in the description. This is college basketball year one at. What I mean by at is after the transfer rule, because we've got two rules now going in college basketball that are, have fundamentally shifted the game in a way that's never been done before with the with the transfer rule and the national or the name image and likeness. I mean, so we're in a, we're in a new world. And, you know, somebody who coaches high school and AAU now with this transfer rule, the recruiting situation has changed dramatically. Nobody wants to talk about high school kids anymore. You know, high school kids now are going to have to become, you know, they're going to have to go to the quote unquote minor leagues of division two, division three, NAIA and play their way into division one. Because I can tell you flat out, I call guys all the time and ask what they're looking for. What do you guys need to share? They tell me transfers. They're going to take proven commodities of guys that have gotten it done at, at that level or guys that they know are a little bit older, a little bit, be- little bit better. Then they're going to take a flyer on a high school kid. Uh, and I'm going to get into that for, for a multitude of reasons. But, you know, this year, from a, from a talent perspective, from a – competitive perspective from a product perspective college basketball is going to be great it's got star power it's got great teams it's got you know elite matchups great non-conference games uh it's doing its best to get back on top you know what i mean and i you know i think that it's uh it's going to be pretty good you know and and first thing i make one promise when i do these you know i did my instagram lives and now i'm doing this podcast here we're not going to talk about when I when I talk about my guys, I'm going to be a complete homer, and that's just how it is. But I will always identify when I'm being a complete homer. All right. And while we're at that, we we need to do this for for basketball sake. Let's define the term "my guy." It's the worst term in the world that we all use, and how we define it, and how people like to take credit for people. So when I say "my guy," I will, I will define that. Someone that I've possibly coached. When I say I've coached them, I've coached them for a full season at some level. All right. That doesn't mean that I'm responsible for their development. I'm not the reason they are who they are. A lot of guys, a lot of fucking guys like to claim guys. Oh, that's my guy. I used to play for me. That doesn't mean I'm responsible for his success. All right. Just means that's my guy. I coached him. Okay. So I will identify when I say my guy or I'm friends with somebody. A lot of coaches probably won't want me to say I'm friends with them because I'm going to be crushing some fucking people on here at times. Uh, but, yeah, 
that's kind of what we're doing here. Um, so we'll clear that up. And like I said, I'll let you know uh, when I'll be an absolute homer. Um, but let's start off here with the with the top five in the country. All right, I'm not going to do a top 25. I don't know enough. Preseason polls are kind of bullshit because it's all speculation here. All right. But top five to get it going here. First team, number one team in the country. I'm going to go UCLA. Now, I'm a homer here. Again, Johnny Juzang is my guy. I coached Johnny in middle school, and I had him for a summer on a pro-am team. I coached his brother for a year, know the family well. That's my guy, all right? Doesn't mean he's not one of the best five players in the country, but that's my guy. And UCLA is loaded, all right? They brought everybody back from the Final Four team, and they picked up two studs. Peyton Watson is a stud, and the boy from Rutgers is an absolute monster to pay Miles Johnson. So they've gotten, they've now upgraded. Now they've got two, two depth. They've got depth in the post. They've got another big time athletic wing. Cause the one thing that they really lacked last year was a legitimate athlete, athlete on the wing. Uh, so yeah, they're locked and loaded. All right. They're, they're ready to go. I watched them play the other night in an exhibition game. They're going to be really good. Jaime Hawkes is just a glue guy. He's going to make a lot of money playing uh, playing basketball. I don't know if he's an NBA guy, but he's damn close. And if not, he'll go overseas and make a couple hundred thousand, maybe a million a year for 15, 20 years if he wants to. 10, 15 years. He's a really good player. So that's my that's my number one right now. They're going to see they're going to see more competition and they want all the smoke. Okay. There's in my top five, I got I'll I'll go through each team. They got UCLA, Gonzaga, and Nova. They're my top three teams. And UCLA's playing Nova on Friday, and they're playing Gonzaga in Vegas in three weeks. They're ducking no one. So I got to give Mick credit. Mick wants all the smoke this year, and he ain't afraid. He's going on the road. He's playing people. You know, that's two national marquee games. Um, so, you know, that's good. But UCLA, UCLA's the best. Uh, you know, Gonzaga, you know, they're going to be really good. I got them at two. You know, they, they bring Timmy back. They got the, the kid from uh, Minnesota, uh, Chet, who is a freak. I mean, Chet's a seven-foot guard, you know, and, and he's really good, and, and they're going to be really good. And, and Mark Few's a great coach. and But they get, that, they get that February lag every year where they don't play anybody. I mean, there's something to be said that they just roll through the, the, the West Coast Conference every year. And you get sloppy. You, you, you don't. You need to play tough games. You need to. You need to be in wars every night. Winning by thirty. I know it's great for confidence, but when you get to the tournament, you haven't been in a war in about two months. That's a problem, you know. And again, they they were great last year. And that that game against UCLA was a, you know, probably a top five tournament game of all time when you really break it down. And when you really break that game down, it was one of the top five college basketball games ever played. Mainly because it wasn't defined by one shot or one it was it was a high level game of shot making the whole way through it was offensively driven guys made plays all game and Gonzaga just happened to make the last play all right I've seen some rock fights where a guy throws one in at the end of the game and uh you know that's not fun you know you can say it was always a buzzer beater this and that but you know 55 57 game where somebody hits a buzzer beater great but this game was in the 90s Guys were balling. Guys were making plays. And, you know, Juzang was at his best. And uh, what's his name? The point guard from Gonzaga was his best. And he made his shot. And that's why it was the best game I've seen. All right. Number three, good old Jay and the Nova. And 
they're legit. I mean, what Jay Wright has done in the last 15 years is just, just incredible, to be honest. I mean, he rolls these guys in. He gets uniform pieces, you know, interchangeable pieces, and he just creates these, these skilled monsters. Um, they don't run anything. Jay doesn't run anything. And I don't say that, you know, that sounds like it's not disrespectful from a coaching standpoint because their four out one, their four out one in system is just, it's just based on skill level. These guys have superior footwork. They can all shoot it. They all can be to close out. They get to their spots. They know their rotations and they make plays. And it's simple as that. And there's a reason all these guys are tremendous pros. A lot of these guys go pro. You don't see a lot of three-year guys, four-year guys going pro, making it long-term these days. But you know who are? The Nova guys. The Nova guys play. They get they get second contracts. They get third contracts. You know, Dante DiVincenzo and the kid down in Phoenix and, and all these guys. They all get it done. I mean, Jay Wright has created a monster in Philadelphia, and it's a, just a machine. And I, I think no doubt, you know, they're going to be there at the end of the year. They just, they just, he does what he does and he does it well. And Jay Wright is the standard in college basketball right now. I mean, he's been for the last decade, just churning out champions and, and, and churning out pros and making guys money. And, you know, just got in the hall of fame and they're going to be there at the end of the year. I can't wait for Friday night, Friday night. And again, Jay's coming all the way out to, to, to Paulie. He's not playing some non-conference game. He's coming to UCLA Friday night. They're going to throw it up, and it's going to be a war, and I can't wait. Ah, Number four, Purdue. Just trust me on this one. Purdue's got dudes. They're going to win the Big Ten. They got two seven-footers. They're going to be fine. And then my sneaky pick in the top five is going to be Alabama. Again, I think they're for real. I think they're for real. I think they bring everybody back. They got it done last year. Again, they lost to UCLA. They ran into Johnny Juzang. And but they won the they they won the SEC last year, and let's not kid ourselves here. Kentucky was good last year. All this oh Kentucky was down. Kentucky wasn't down. Cal did a terrible job last year. Cal had McDonald's All Americans at every position. He couldn't coach. He didn't get it done. He didn't have time to put in his system. And you know that mover blocker is hard to learn. Let's not kid ourselves here. Just playing mover blocker is not easy to learn. It's not fun to play. Well, you know, a lot of guys aren't a big, big fan of it, especially if you're not the mover and you're just the blocker. You know, I've watched a lot of Kentucky basketball in the last three years, and it's great if you're the mover, but if you're not, you're not. So, I, I and again, you had Terrence Clark, you had BJ Boston, you had uh, Devin Askew, you had all these guys, you had all these dudes come back, and you can't win. That ain't that, that that's on you, bro. I, again. You got to press. You got to do something different. He was stuck in his ways last year, and it cost him. So, you know, but Kentucky's going to be good. Duke's going to be good. Uh, you know, we'll we'll talk about Coach Gay here in a minute because it's. I think he's the the, the number one storyline of the season. Um, okay, so I guess we should get into that. Coach Gay final season will be the main storyline, beaten into your head by ESPN every day, all day for the next what four or five months. All right, Coach Coach K is a legend. He really is, and you know I think it's it's going to be the 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 game's going to you know hurt losing him. I mean, he's for for four years he's been the standard, and like I said, I really think Jay has become you know the the torchbearer, and has moved on to become the guy that they want to that's going to become the face of college basketball here for the next 10, 15 years. But 
what Coach K has done is 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 tremendous. And as a kid, you know, I have I have a love hate relationship with Duke because I grew up a Duke fan. I mean, Bobby Hurley was my guy. I was a ten year old kid when those guys were were coming up the Leitner game, the the Final Fours. You know, I mean, I guess that that run from '86 to to '94, where he went to I think seven Final Fours in ten years. It, it was the standard, and you know, two national championships and lost in the finals. I think three more times. I mean, that that run that they had at Duke was was unbelievable. At the end of the day, Coach K has you know put a lot of guys in the pros. What he did to save USA basketball, uh, I, I I think we're going to have to appreciate that at the end of the day. Now, where the hate comes in is I when you start coaching college basketball and you realize how important big calls are. And then you start watching how like your season can, can change on a big call or your career path can change if you win that game, but you don't win that game. And you get to see them get every fucking call <laughs> every night and bullshit calls. I mean, I get it. I mean, the most relatable moment of my life is when Jimmy Beheim tore his jacket off and went completely ape shit because he could not believe they called that charge call at Cameron Indoor Stadium. And and that's how everybody feels when they play Duke. To beat Duke at Duke, you got to be 15 – 15 points better to win by five at best because you're going to get absolutely hosed out there. Uh, it happens all the time. And, and K rides the officials. I mean, I don't know if you guys know this, but the only place in America, the only place in America where you're watching a game where the camera is behind the bench and not sit, showing the bench is Cameron Indoor Stadium. Now, why do you think that is? That's an interesting thing. It's probably because Coach K is absolutely jackhammering officials the whole time and doesn't want it on TV. It's just that simple. That's how it works. That's what he does. It's the only place in America. Okay. He gets away. They get away with murder down there. And again, I ain't mad at him. Again, he's the boss, but he gets away with murder. And I think, and I think I just had to get that off my chest because again, uh, you can't say anything negative about coach. K. What he's done in this game, what he's done for this game. It's great, but good Lord, they didn't get every fucking call. And it needs to be said. It just needs to be said. I have to get that off my chest. Because, again, when you, when you do this for a living and you realize how important winning certain games is and, and, and getting over and you get you see guys, get, you're like, what the fuck was that? How does that all happen? You, you, can call, you can lose your job. You, can, you know, if you beat Duke, you can save your job sometimes. If you beat Duke, you might, in the NCAA tournament, you might get a better job. And to have that stripped away on some bullshit call, which happens always, you know, again, you never see Duke lose on a bad call. I've never seen Duke lose on a bad call in, in 40 years. So I find that, I find that interesting. Um, but he's going to be the standard here. He's going to be the guy who, you know, it's going to be, a, it's going to be, I mean, it's going to be obnoxious. ESPN is going to make this painful. All right. It's going to be, it's going to be hard to watch. Everything's going to be, oh, coach, I don't know if I can deal with it. Like I, 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 you know, I love Coach K. Again, I got nothing bad to say about it. you. Can't say anything bad about the man, but it's going to be painful to watch. ESPN is 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 so lopsided. It's just it's hard. It's hard to do. And I'm interested to see, you know, how John Shire takes over. You know, John Shire on the recruiting trail has been a monster, but if you can't recruit the Duke with the resources and the advantages you have down there, you pretty much play every game on national television. You've got a top of the line facility. You've got an elite degree, you know, you've got, you know, boosters and, and, and people in the program who care. Now you've got name, image, and likeness where your face is going to be splattered all over 
national media for the next five months. How do you say no to Duke? It, it's great. It's great. But I only I only question this because, unfortunately, as great as Coach K is and as great as Coach K has been, his coaching tree is awful. It's awful. There hasn't been one Duke assistant other than Mike Bray who's been any good at the end of the day. It's, and it's true. I hate to say that. But no one has done anything of value from Duke, coming from Duke and taking over another program other than Mike Bray. And when you say that, it's interesting because Mike Bray was only there for a couple of years, and Mike Bray learned how to coach under Morgan Wooten at the NASA. So if you had to ask who Mike Bray's number one influence is, I'd like to ask him that question. I don't know the answer to that. I'm sure he's taken many things from Coach Gay, but they're very different. You can see their personalities are a little different. So how they play, how they recruit, what they do, you know. You know, Mike Bray's always been loosey-goosey, and guys love to play for him. He's not, you know, super, you know, super intense and all that. So, you know, I'm sure he picked up some things along the way, but Johnny Dawkins didn't get it done at Stanford. Uh, Quinn Snyder cheated his balls off in Missouri, got fired. David Henderson ran my Delaware Blue Hens into the ground. Uh, Wojo just got fired. Chris Collins had one good year with somebody else's players. Uh, Jeff Capel, you know, got fired, got, got caught cheating in Oklahoma, getting his getting his ass kicked at Pittsburgh right now. Uh, you know, just uh, Tommy Amaker. Tommy Amaker got dudes at Seton Hall. You know, he got he got Shaheen Holloway and Eddie Griffin somehow, somehow they go to Seton Hall, and then he goes to Michigan where they're on probation. Stinks. Now he's at Harvard where they they operate under different rules than the rest of the league. And they haven't won the league in five years. You know, again, I just think it's it's for, for, for a guy who's had so much success and for a program who's had so much success, when everybody goes elsewhere and takes the brotherhood with them, it fails. And there's a lot, there's a lot of programs like that. You know, Jay's guys haven't been very successful, you know. At the end of the day, you, you got to be yourself. You got you to be your own man. You got to do things differently. You know, playing four out one in is, is great when you've got five McDonald's All-Americans that can spread the floor and gash. But, you know, yelling, yelling attitude doesn't, doesn't make you a 20-win team. You know, you've got you've to have a, a system and a, and a style that fits your players and fits your school and fits the kind of guys you can get. And I think a lot of these guys think it's cookie-cutter, you know, I'm just going to do what we did at Duke. Oh, really? Good luck. Do you have five McDonald's All-Americans? And shit's a little different when you when you don't have five McDonald's All-Americans. And it's not real life. You know, I can tell you, I've I've had some good jobs and I've had some you know some jobs that you know you got you got to work a little bit. But you're not when you don't have the best players. You, there's a lot. Of, you got to coach a little bit. You got to you got to make exceptions. You got to do some things to create some offense. You just can't say, oh, well, this is what we did at Villanova. This is what we did at Duke. This is what we did at Indiana. You know, it's not, that's not, that's, that's tough. And you, you see it happen over and over again. These guys get these jobs coming as assistants, not moving on to be a head coach at a lower level and then figuring out like, yeah, Mike Bright went from Duke to Delaware, figured it out. Delaware had a great run for five years, hundred wins, two NCAA tournaments and NIT. And then he got the Notre Dame job. He was ready for the Notre Dame job when he got it. A lot of these guys jump into jobs at the highest level. They're not fucking ready for it. All right. And these these athletic directors, they they have no idea. I mean, 
I could go into the coaching business and the hiring processes and what goes on. And I'll probably do that at some point, but you know, just because you're an assistant for a good coach doesn't mean you're ready to be a head coach at the highest level. You're seeing it in football right now. You know, these coordinators, you have to learn how to be a head coach. It's a profession that somehow people think you can skip eight fucking steps and be great at it, you know, and, and, and none of the guys that are great at it skipped any steps. It's just that simple. You know, Jay Wright cut his bones at Hofstra. You know, Mike Krzyzewski cut his bones in Army. Bobby Knight cut his bones in Army. You learn how to become a great head coach. You don't just walk into a fucking job when, you're, when you've been an assistant at the highest level and get it done. Because, it's like I said, it's a profession that you learn and grow and, and advance in. Not just you're not you're not magically gifted because you're somebody's son, you know, or you're related to somebody. That there's no osmosis in this game. You have to become a coach, learn the business, learn players, learn how to think for yourself because being your own man is the most important thing. Okay, and I had to learn this even at the high school level and the, and the, the lower levels. You know, I worked for a coach growing up. And played for a coach where he was on your ass about everything. He was on your shit about everything. And that's just how it was. And that's not me. Like, I just don't, I, when I'm coaching, I guess I'm the anti-coach. I don't, I don't want to be your mom and dad. I don't want to be like, I, I honestly, if I'm a high school coach and you're out drinking on a Friday night, that ain't my problem. Your, your mom and dad are your parents. Your mom and dad are supposed to be the ones that say you're, that make sure you're not out partying or doing dumb shit. All right. Now, if you get caught doing something in school or you get suspended and then, you know, I got to sit you out or whatever it is, there's rules at school. All right. But again, I'm not I'm not your parents. If the school says he's out two weeks and he's a starter, well, after two weeks he's up, he's going to start again. I'm not going to add on to the, the punishment because that's just not who I am. Like I said, I, my thing called the anti-coach, like I'm not your mom. All right. And the way I coach, I do get on your ass and I will get in your shit and I will tell you fuck i will i will tell you some things you maybe don't want to hear in a way you don't want to hear it and that's how i've always been but i can do that because it's only two hours a day the other 22 hours a day we can get along we can be friends we can laugh we can do this because i ain't trying to be your dad all right i'm not if if you're eligible to play if you have a 2.001 you're gonna play if you're if you're ineligible that's on you again I'll, i'll do my best i do think as a coach you have a you have a responsibility to stay on top of their grades to make sure they're eligible, but I don't need to make sure you're going to Harvard. If you don't want to study and get a four Oh, and you want to be a two five guy. Again, it's your mom's job. That's your dad's job. Of course, there's always exceptions where, you know, a guy isn't pushing himself and you've got to stay on top of that. But from a pure perspective of from coaching for me, that's not my job. My job is to coach a basketball team between the lines. And to do that, I need to let you know that, you know, I'm here to coach basketball because once you, when your team knows you're all about winning and all you care about is winning and we're here to win, then nobody feels like, oh, he's mad at me because I got a C on my history test. I don't give a shit what you got on your history test, bro. I don't care. I'm mad you didn't block out. I'm mad you, you didn't sprint back. I'm mad you missed 10 shots in a row. All right. So if you want to, like for me, it's all, it's got to be about basketball. It, it, if you're, cause if that, if, if people feel it's about anything other than that or some, you know, some, I guess some punitive measures for off the court things or classroom. So that's just how I've always rolled. That's how I've always rolled here. And I, uh, I just think that that's, that's really important for me. Um, 
you know, but you know, that's neither here nor there. But what I do want to finish up with is just the, where college basketball is at. Cause I feel like college basketball is in a very, very interesting place moving forward. Uh, I really do. And I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. I just feel like we're going to see something very interesting happen in college basketball in the next five to 10 years. Cause with this money involved now and these transfer rules, I think you're going to see a major influx of universities to the division two level. That's just my personal opinion. All right. You really, right now you have to make a decision. Are you going to go all in on men's basketball and spend the money to make your program as most attractive as possible to make as much money as you can move up legs, change legs, et cetera, et cetera. Or do you really not want to be in the business? Okay. Because this, this shit now is crazy. I mean, these kids are making money on name, image, and likeness, which is great. Everyone should be able to control their name, image, and likeness. I'm 100% for that and all that. But what happens is when I want to switch practice from three to seven because I, I need to go recruit, but my guy's got a photo shoot or my guy's got an autograph signing or my guy's got to meet with his – again, this is, going to, this is a whole new level of just – player control but also just you know not aligning with the with the i don't know if the the, the missions are going to line up for people all right and that's that's where this thing is going to get interesting you know college basketball coaches and college football no one in the world has more control over anything and anyone in the world than a college football coach and a college basketball coach for 15 years or from sorry since the beginning of the NCAA, they own your ass they tell you where to be what to eat what time to be somewhere you know, they can change the schedule at the drop of a hat. They can do whatever they want. And it's just that. Um, and I, I find that interesting. I find I really do. I find that interesting because it's it's just a way to to uh it's it's all changed now. The power belongs to the players. The power belongs to all the players. All right. They can leave it at the drop of a hat, they can go make money, they can do that. So now guys are operate under a set of rules their entire life, their entire careers are now in a, in a new world. That's why I call this year one of college basketball. It's eight after, after the transfer rule, you know, before you want to transfer, you had to sit out. You had to, you, they could block you from going certain places. They could now it's, 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 it's the wild, wild west. And I, again, there's, there's definitely good and bad of that because there's a lot of shitty people in the coaching business. There's a lot of exploitive people that treat people like shit and and fuck people over and go out in the public and put on a, a big fucking smiley face and and get away with it. There's a lot of frauds. There's a lot of guys that you think are good people that are terrible people in this business. And there's a lot of guys that are great guys that don't get any credit for it. All right. Cause there's a lot of self promoters and there's a lot of, you know, two faced guys that, that, that give you one look of, of who they are, the public image. And then behind the scenes, they'll cut your throat or they'll fuck you over and not think twice about it. It, it. It's really, it's really a business of. Listen, again, there's a, there's a lot of bad people in every business, but again, there's a lot of people who get away with murder in this business because they're frauds. Let's put it this way: if, if if Ellen DeGeneres was a college basketball coach, nobody would think twice about it because there's a lot of people like her, the people that you know we've known for 15 years. This guy's a piece of shit. Now and then it all finally comes out. 
Same thing in college basketball. There's a lot of guys like that. A lot of guys that, you know, I don't have a lot of respect for the way they treat people. They they just treat people like garbage. And now they're not able to do that because now you can walk. All right. You lied to me in recruiting. You told me I was going to start. Now I don't come on. I don't even see the floor. I'm out. End of story. I'm out. So now you got to change how you recruit. Now you got to be honest. All right. You know, and and that's that's going to be interesting because recruiting has been lying to, to, to 18 year old kids their entire lives. That's what it is. You tell people what they want to hear. You get them to come. And then once they came, you had them. Again, you had all the control. If they wanted to leave, you had to let them. If they wanted to leave, they had to sit out. Now it's like, all right, Coach C, I'm going to go play at, uh, you know, I'm out. I'm going to go down the street and play, and I'll start next week because there's no, there's no rule stopping me from doing so. Player, player control is a good thing. But I don't, know, I don't know how it's going to go, all right? And then you throw the money on top of that where these guys can now make money, all right? And that's going to be interesting. Now it's almost your job is to get your guys as much money as you can to stay legally. And that used to be the way they did it always. I mean – Cheating in college basketball is, is is a tale of time. I mean, I could sit here and tell you stories and about who got what and where and whatever, but that's no fun. That snitches get stitches. We don't we don't do that. So there won't be any uh, any major revelations on this podcast about who got what, where, and why. Even though that's fun, but that's that's for bitches. So we're not going to do that here. Um, but like I said, it's it's going to be really, really, really interesting. What happens? Because these coaches are now powerless. So now it's all about empowering your players and being someone you want to play for. Now you got to be Ted Lasso. Like now everyone's going to want to be Ted Lasso and, and everyone wants to love the guy and hug the guy. And this is my guy. But also we have to win. Okay. So the balance of are you going to discipline guys? Are you going to stay on guys? Are you going to create a atmosphere of uh, accountability? Uh, an atmosphere of of team when now everything's out for yourself. Well, I got to coach. I got to. I got to. I got to go sign autographs and make make bank, yo. I can't be at the, the new practice time. Like that's that's the thing. And I don't know, quite honestly, how many institutions want to be in that. Like, if you're the American East schools or you're some of these smaller conferences, like, do you really want to be in this shit? Because you, if you want to be in it, you got to pay. You got to juice up budgets. Or you're just going to get your ass kicked and, and get a little bit of TV money here. And that's why I think, I'll be, I'll be honest, I think within five to ten years, there's 365 schools in Division One, give or take. I might be 367. I think you'll see between 100 and 150 schools move down to one, uh, to Division Two. You know, especially all the schools that are 1AA football schools that are already, already not in the mix for the football money. I could see a major migration down, all right, because you 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 give up five scholarships. There's only ten guys on scholarship in Division Two, and you you can you know be academically based at this point. Now you're not trying to to buy guys a fortune and and have to let guys in that are academically unsuitable for your school, which goes on in Division. Obviously, in basketball, everybody gets in guys that would never get in otherwise. It's the revenue generate football and basketball, get guys in that would never get in under any circumstances otherwise. Baseball, maybe some schools baseball, but 
the the non-revenue sports in college, you still have to get in. You still have to have the grades to get in. They're not cutting the women's soccer team a break on a girl who, who doesn't have the grades because they don't care enough about that. You know, they don't make them any money. Now, if you're, you know, like I said, if you're, if you might get, you might have a little wiggle room, like Stanford may let a girl with a 1250 in instead of a 1500, but you still have to be an elite student to go play at these places. They're not letting, you know, prop 48 kids in. So, like I said, I see a massive migration towards division two by about a hundred to 150 schools in the next five to 10 years, because it's an arms race. And if you're not going to be in it, there's no reason to play. There's no reason to do it because it's just going to be too expensive. You're not going to win. And when you ever have anybody any good, the worst part is when you actually get a good player, they're just going to leave. They're going to move up. They're going to, they're going to say, Oh, I got 25 and seven at Delaware as a freshman. I'm going to go to Villanova next year. And I'm going to play in the big East and there's nothing you can do about it. There's nothing to really keep that person in play. You're always going to be the little brother. You're always going to be the guy who doesn't help, you know, and it's just going to, the rich are going to get richer. Anybody who has a good season at a mid-major or small college is going to move to high major. And it's going to become a farm system. And then those teams are going to have to pull from division two. All right. I already, my guy, one of my former bosses, Mike Donnelly, is the head coach at Florida Southern now. I work for them in Southern Connecticut State. Florida Southern's won, I think, three national titles. Mike, during the pandemic here, was 30 and three, was number two in the country. All right. He had four guys from his team last year get Division One scholarships as transfers this year. That's that's the weight. We, we've just we've just created a farm system for these bigger schools and these and these elite programs to just cherry pick from everybody else. You can already see Cal doing it. Cal's already taken probably five impact transfers in the last year. You can you're going to see it everywhere. So you know unless there's a guy who's really loyal to his coach, you're really loyal to his school. You'd be crazy not to, at least there used to be a detriment to sitting out or any of that. Now it's all right. Peace. I can go to Kentucky. Oh, coach K wants me to come to Duke and play on national TV every night. Why would I not? So that's, that's an interesting dynamic that, that, that we're just getting to. And I don't know how it's going to go over the fan base. You know, fans like in college sports, they like having a guy to cheer for, for three or four years. They like, watching a guy grow up and be, go from a freshman to a senior. You know, even the Kentucky people don't like the fact that it's one and done you, and they never get to really enjoy a guy's career. So I, I just think that you're going to see, you're going to see some schools say, do we really want to do this? Is this really the mission of our school, of our athletic department? Are we really spending all this money to get what? To get, what do we get to show for it? And if, you know, if you're not going to the NCAA tournament and you're not making any money, why not just go division two? You can save a bunch of money. You can play locally. You don't have these travel budgets. You don't have to, all these resources, all these academic resources and things like that, that these division one schools have to have to keep up with the Joneses. And you can just make it about having a college. And I, I just think that's where it's going. Um, again, it's a good thing and a bad thing. Uh, these kids being able to make money. I definitely think they deserve it. And I definitely think that, you know, everyone should have freedom. Nobody should be able to control where you go, when you go, and how you go. But there's going to be some effects that are, are not good. And I think a lot of schools, especially if you get a president or an academic type situation that they just don't give a shit about sports, that they're going to be like, hey, why don't we just, why don't we just get out of the mix? 
you know, I know, I know you get a lot of fundraising in school, you know, these schools, you know, athletics drives fundraising, athletics drives, you know, alumni engagement. And that may be enough reason to keep people in division one, but I think you're going to see a lot of schools, you know, bow out say, this isn't for us. Um, you know, especially, especially, especially the schools that already won double a football and, and things of that nature, you know, they have, I think, 80 scholarships or, or so you can go to division two and have 30 or 40 scholarships, half of them save a lot of money because if you're not going to go all in, you, you got to get out. That's just where it is right now. And, uh, I see this happening already. Uh, so with all this, with all this alignment and new conferences and things like that, you know, James Madison just moved up from one double A to, to division one football. They're going all in. They have elite facilities down there. They've been in the colonial for years. Uh, you know, they've, they've, they've won a couple of natties in one double A football and they got to go all in or, or get out. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense to have those facilities to, to have that campus and to not go all in, you know, because, or not, it's a waste of money. So, you know, like I said, I think this is going to be an interesting season for college sports. It's going to be a great season for college basketball, but you're going to start seeing things happen and triggered and, and, and things moving in a direction that may be detrimental to the sport overall. You know, and you're going to see some kids who think they're going to get all this money and all this, uh, all this attention and all these, all these image and likeness deals. And at the end of the day, nobody really gives a shit. They're not going to make any money. You know, like I said, I think I think Johnny Juzang is going to make is going to get some some deals. I mean, I know he's going to get some deals, um, but he's a returning face to college basketball. People know him from what he did last year. If you're a freshman and and you're not and you're just a layperson, like my mom knows who Johnny Juzang is, even though she's a, a casual sports fan because she watched the NCAA tournament. Now the kid Paulo at Duke, who's going to be a tremendous tremendous player. Nobody knows who he is yet. Not unless, not unless you're a diehard basketball fan, you know, but, and by the time he puts his name on the map, he'll be in the NBA. And it's almost an interesting, you know, situation where to really make money in college sports, you're going to have to play two or three years in college, as opposed to being a one and done and getting run out for things like that. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, like I said, this is, I'm going to try to uh, keep this one under an hour this time. I know last time I ran a little bit, but, this is this is going to be something else, you know. And then again, you got to worry about you got to worry about your teammate. Why the fuck is is Johnny making more money than me? I I you know that's going to become an issue. When when some guys are getting paid and some guys aren't, or they're helping him get a deal, but they didn't help me get a deal. And this, you know, we've all seen that. I mean, again, it used to be, you know, it used to be all hush hush, right? It's like almost like your salary work. You can't talk about the car you got or this or that. You know, because well, why don't I only get twenty five thousand if he got fifty thousand to come? So, you know, there's a lot of human dynamics to this that we've yet to see the consequences of, and uh, I think it's going to be fascinating to watch. Just guys moving, guys, how guys handle situations, transferring out, and uh, I don't think it's all going to be good. I think every, hey, players got exactly what they want now. And I'm not sure they want that because, again, coaches now have no excuse to not win right away. And I think that's another problem because you used to get three or four years to get it going. You get a job, you inherit, okay, you inherit a team because you can't really run guys out of town. So year one's a, a gimme. You coach somebody else's team. 
year two, you get your freshman in, you get go get your guys, maybe get a bounce a couple guys off scholarship. Year three, you're supposed to get better. Year four, you're supposed to be good. You're supposed to show some growth, finish top two, three in the league, and now your contract's up. Maybe you get one or two more years. Now with the transfer rule, it's fucking – it's win now. Win now, which means get rid of motherfuckers now. Get them off my team. I don't want this guy. Get him out. You're done. So you're going to become a commodity. The whole student-athlete thing, that's a myth now. You're going to have to produce or you're going to be out of a scholarship and you're going to be in the transfer portal. And maybe somebody doesn't pick you up. And now that free education that you thought you had for four years, that's gone. You know, or maybe you're, you know, you're in some godforsaken, you know, small town where you don't want to be. So players, players got exactly what they asked for. And I'm not sure that that's what they want. It's going to be great for the guys at the top. It's always the problem with the NCAA, they do everything for the top 2% of the thing. And then the shit flows downstream on everybody else. All they, they make rules up all the time. They make rules up all the time for, for the top 2% for this, for the one recruit. Oh, do, you know, we can't have this happen, you know? And then, and then it, it, the shit flows downstream. It, it adversely affects the other, you know, 3,000 institutions in it between Division One, Two, II, and Three. It's embarrassing. It happens all the time. I mean, this is the people that said you can give a kid a bagel, but if you give them cream cheese, it's a fucking NCAA violation. Okay, so they make these rules up all the time, and it makes no sense. And I think that it could be bad. It could be bad. I have a lot of faith in the in NCAA basketball. I'm always going to love it. I'm always going to be a college guy. And it's going to be great at the top. But I think you're going to start to see some of the smaller schools say, this is not for us. And the problem with that is, is the NCAA tournament is the best thing in the world because David beats Goliath. And if there is no David, is the NCAA tournament that interesting? You'll see some good games, but you're not going to see the magic. The NCAA tournament is the magic. It's the George Mason run. It's UMBC beating Virginia. It's, that's what the NCAA tournament is. When you talk about the greatest games and things you remember most, it's the upsets. It's Vermont over Syracuse, TJ Sorenstein from the parking lot. That's the NCAA tournament. So when you lose the little guy and you make them unable to compete and you rob them of their resources every time they have a good player, you know, if Damian Lillard just leaves Weber State and goes to a Pac-12 school, like that, that you lose the magic. And I think that's the fear I have for college basketball is that the bottom and the coaches that do a good job identifying talent, bringing in young players and, and making them better, they're just going to get robbed and the, and the rich are going to get richer and there's going to be no parity. There's going to be no upsets. And then that's, you lose the magic. So I think that's, I think that's where we're at. Um, it's going to be a great year though. Um, uh, I think year one, we don't have a problem, but down the road, you know, things can get interesting, but everybody enjoy the first day. All right, there's going to be some great games today. I, I think Duke Kentucky is going to be a war. They both team both teams have a lot to prove after last year's debacle. And like I said, Friday night, UCLA versus Nova at Pauley. It's going to be a monster game. So great first week here. I'll keep you guys updated. Thanks for uh, checking in and uh, enjoy your week.